This is Radio Health Journal. I'm Nancy Benson. This week, the psychology of being an egg donor. I wouldn't have ever gone through it if my husband John had not been 110% comfortable with it. The biological reality is that I was having a child with another man. Giving away eggs so friends can have kids when Radio Health Journal continues. I'm Reed Pence, host of Radio Health Journal. If you enjoy Radio Health Journal, you'll also like Viewpoints, our sister show covering current affairs. This week on Viewpoints. We need to talk about real issues in science fiction, including race. You can't just erase this question. Diversity in the white male-dominated universe of science fiction. Then, how we can come together and solve the problems of the day. All that and more this week on Viewpoints. Listen to Viewpoints on your favorite radio station, iTunes, and Stitcher. Reproductive technology isn't unusual anymore. Worldwide, 5 million test tube babies have been born, and in the United States, they account for about 1% of all births. But some couples have to take in vitro fertilization techniques farther than others. For example, some women's eggs are simply unusable, so they may turn to an egg donor, often from a family member or friend. That's how Alicia Young became the biological mother of two of her friend's children. Something happened one day that really struck a chord with me. The first time we donated was to Rachel's parents. And Rachel's mother and I were child protection social workers together. And one day she said something that struck very close for me. She said, every day we go out and we investigate parents who beat their children, starve their children and worse. All I want is one of my own to cherish. Young is now a television journalist in Australia. She recounts her experiences in her memoir, Two Eggs, Two Kids, An Egg Donor's Account of Friendship, Infertility, and Secrets. They were so hungry to be parents. They were so hungry to welcome a child into their life, and they navigated so many years of disappointment. She would say every month is a failure. Fortunately, I was a good candidate. It worked out very well physically and emotionally. And for our part, John and I are delighted to see them as parents. However, Young warns that donating eggs to a friend or family member comes with emotional risks. Both parents on each side of the transaction have to be completely open and honest, or it's a recipe for resentment. John and I offered my eggs to Rachel's parents. They didn't actually come forward. We knew that they were going through issues. They were very open and candid about it. And we decided together we were very comfortable with it. I wouldn't have ever gone through it if my husband John had not been 110% comfortable with it. Because at the end of the day, the biological reality is that I was having a child with another man. So we both had to be very comfortable with the idea. Now, if John had become uncomfortable or felt threatened at any point through it, then our friends had actually given us many outs. Are you sure you want to do this? Would you like to take some time and rethink this through? All that kind of thing. That's why Young says prospective egg donors go through both physical and psychological screening before the process begins. It's reasonably involved, as you'd imagine it would be. First off, you have to have a physical. There are a number of blood tests that are taken 
taken and usually an ultrasound as well. As one lady put it, just to check that the plumbing is all working and all okay. You also go through a psychological assessment at the same time to determine if you're a good candidate. I was asked, what is my motivation to donate? Did I feel any pressure or guilt that was motivating me to offer our eggs? We were asked about, look, you've chosen not to have your own children, so why give your eggs to someone else? What was happening there? The psychologist asked, how might I likely feel about having a connection to a child but no legal claim to that child? So it went through a checklist, if you like, of different issues. Her biological daughter, Rachel, considers her to be sort of a spare mom or an especially close aunt. It's worked out well and Young didn't keep it a secret. We couldn't have guessed five years later everything would change. The phone would ring and a different friend would ask us to donate. So the first time I offered, this time a new friend was asking us. The penny didn't drop for me immediately. She was very distressed and she said, I've been told I need an egg donor. And I said, well, I'm sure your sister would help you. No, my sister has the same women's health issues as me. And I said, what about that cousin you're close with? After she's given some time to think, she may come around to it. She said, no, I don't want anyone knowing I'm infertile. The phone went silent for a moment and I said, oh, are you asking me? And she said, well, you have done it before. However, this donation has ended up completely different than the happy, open relationship with Rachel and her parents. The resulting child, Sam, doesn't know that his mother, Kate, isn't his biological mother. She's kept it a secret. To be fair, Thomas, Sam's father, wanted to be very open with Sam about his origins from day one in age-appropriate language that he would understand he'd have a relationship with his auntie. And then as he got older, he would know the full story. And when we all had a group session with a clinical psychologist to talk about this, they both pledged to be very open with any child or children that originated with the donation. Unfortunately, real life comes into it as well. And despite the best intentions, when Sam was born, Kate became very secretive. She said it was because she didn't feel complete as a woman. She didn't want friends or family to know that she had needed an egg donor. My heart broke for her, no question, but at the end of the day, I believe it is Sam's right to know his story, to own his story, and to realize that he has a half-sister. Young says by the time potential recipients turn to an egg donor, they've usually tried IVF multiple times and failed. It may be that Kate hadn't worked through her grief over that before becoming pregnant. Since then, Young says her relationship with Kate has fallen apart over other issues, as has Kate's marriage. But you have to wonder if keeping such a big secret played a role. It's a loaded issue and one that needs to be navigated very carefully, usually with the help of a psychologist and or perhaps with a person from your place of worship as well in that kind of spiritual capacity. One thing I often say to people is, if you're considering being an egg donor recipient, first question, how recently have you been told you need an egg donor? Was it yesterday? Was it six months ago? Because if you've just been told, you deserve time to move through the grief of needing one in the first place, the grief of not being able to conceive on your own. You've got to ask yourself, what does it mean to have an egg donor? What will it mean for my relationship with my child? How I perceive myself as a mother? You've got to ask yourself, 
Are you ready for this? Do you want an anonymous egg donor or are you considering someone, for example, within your family, which brings both pros and cons? It's not uncommon to see advertising for anonymous donors on college campuses with a going rate of five to $10,000 per donation. But Young says that can be an emotional minefield as well. Young has plenty of advice for potential donors and recipients, both women and their partners, in her book, which is available at her website, twoeggs2kids.com. You can find out more about all of our guests on our website, radiohealthjournal.net. Our production director is Sean Waldron. I'm Lynn Holly. Medical notes this week. As much as 10% of the population have restless leg syndrome, a nervous system disorder creating an irresistible urge to move the legs, often during sleep. It also creates an increased risk of heart disease death according to a new study in the journal Neurology. The study is perhaps the first to weed out other heart disease risk factors common in people with RLS such as high blood pressure. Researchers conclude that restless leg syndrome alone increases heart disease death risk in women by 43%. When you're sick with the flu or another upper respiratory infection, it pays to know if a virus or bacteria is responsible. For one thing, viruses don't respond to antibiotics. Now there's an experimental test that can quickly and easily tell the difference. Scientists writing in the Journal of Infectious Diseases say the test could be performed with a nasal swab and could be available in one to five years. And finally, most cases of bad breath are linked to bacteria growing in the mouth, but around 3% of people have chronic bad breath for no apparent reason. It turns out it's their genes, according to a study in the journal Nature Genetics. Researchers say these people have a mutation in a gene that normally enables the body to break down smelly sulfur compounds in the blood. But while scientists know why those people have halitosis, there's nothing yet they can do about it. And that's Medical Notes this week. Thank you for listening to Radio Health Journal, a production of MediaTracks Communications. If you enjoyed this week's show, please leave a review on iTunes or share it with a friend. You can find more Radio Health Journal stories about health, science, and technology on iTunes, Stitcher, and at RadioHealthJournal.net.